Turn in your Bible, if you will, please, to Psalm 32. We are still preaching in that text in Judges chapter 11, verse 29 through 40. But we have read that text in your hearing now already several times. And I want us to read and hear for this morning. Before we turn to Judges 11, I want us to hear the words of the psalmist in chapter 32, verses 1 through 9. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no God. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sins unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse, or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Before we turn to our passage for the message, would you stand with me again, please? And sing together number 558, standing please. And must I part with all I have? My dearest Lord, for thee, it is but right since thou hast done much more than this for me. Yes, let it go, but look. From thee, 
controversy surrounding this text of scripture in Judges chapter 11 verses 29 through 40 because of the great intense controversy that has surrounded swirled around this text throughout the ages as I approached it for my own messages in this study through the book of Judges in the past two messages, I attempted more or less to just walk through the passage, verse 29 through 40, and set before our minds what exactly is said here. What exactly does the record say? Now, of course, I have been unable to adhere completely to that plan. And so I have already made some of the most obvious and valuable applications that seem to cry out to my own heart, even from just a cursory reading of this context. Having finished on last week, my original purpose to just walk through the text. All the way through verse 40, I finished last week. We turn now again to this passage, rather to draw from it some, only some, of the profound lessons so plainly and powerfully set out in this shocking record. You know the background. We have covered it. We have spent some time in it. We've seen this man Jephthah, this half-Israelite, banished from his brethren earlier in the chapter, banished into Ammonite regions, thought to be by his brethren unworthy to be in their midst. 
They drove him off into the region of the enemies of Israel. We watched him filling his ranks around him with the lowest order of men, highwaymen, bandits. We watched him call back to that nation that had spewed him out. And not only call back to the nation, but to the very sanctuary. Call back. We watched him in this chapter placed in the highest position of national authority. They said, come back and rule over us. We watched him in this chapter crushing God's enemies and Israel's, the Ammonites. And then we watched him finally making a very rash and foolhearted vow and keeping it. And now, with this rash and godly, godless vow, this rash and godless vow in the backdrop, and its horrible and appalling fulfillment in the foreground, the stage is now set with a great tapestry of lessons for us all. <coughs> and so, <coughs> and so in no certain order, I will begin this morning and I know that I shall surely not finish. But I will try to begin this morning to give you some of those Great lessons from this account in Judges chapter 11. Number one, I would bring to your attention and hope that you would take it to your heart that well-meaning is not automatically well-doing. <laughs> well-meaning is not automatically well-doing. Rogers in 1615 said of this vow, this vow, though he meant well, was ill-made and in great ignorance. If he had vowed simply to be thankful, he had done well. But in this vow, he sinned greatly. His well-meaning as to motive was honorable. You remember we read the account. He's about to go out and face the Ammonite nation. That dreaded great fear of Israel. The Ammonites. They had set themselves in battle array. And they were ready to come and crush Israel. And annihilate them. And he is posted at the head of their armies. To face this great enemy. He is in an unenviable position, realizing being himself a man of war all of his life. He knew where he was. He knew what he was facing. He knew what the situation called for. And he was burning inside himself, facing this thing. And in the heat of that moment, 
He made a vow, a rash and foolish vow. Burst out of him. He meant well by it. He meant well by it. He's seeking the Lord to help him and to guarantee that the Lord will give him the strength and the wisdom and the army's ability to crush this enemy. It was a noble purpose. It was a godly purpose. And he seeks the Lord for it. But in the midst of his seeking, the fervor of his motive was enviable and good. But in the fervor of his motive, it found itself giving expression in the passions of ignorance. And the result is an offering wholly unacceptable to God. He meant well. But well-meaning is not well-doing. Many have been the well-meant commitments that we have made at times. Many have been the well-meant and fervent commitments I have made at times past in my life only to find out later that my well-meant passions of the moment were only folly and their fulfillment was far from doing good. My well-meaning has all too frequently not been well-doing. May I admonish especially you young men and young ladies take great note of this lesson from Jephthah. Well-meaning is not automatically well-doing. You may have a passion and that passion may be well-founded and honorable but you may act it out Poorly. And the doing does not match the meaning. Lesson number one, well-meaning is not automatically well-doing. Lesson number two from this text, ignorance like a prison holds men in error. Ignorance. Like a prison holds men in error. What worlds of error that we have seen may trace their source right back to this ignorance. Jephthah was ignorant of the law of God. He had a heart filled with fervency to do this thing, to do this honor to the Lord, to do this honor for Israel. He had a heart that was right, but he was ignorant of the law of God. He made a vow that God would never have had him make. I want to tell you that ignorance holds people into error. 
what worlds of error may trace their source right back to ignorance. Oh, but how often do we hear zeal offered as a valid ground for foolhardy conduct? <laughs> I'm old, but I'm not so feeble I can't remember my youth as a young man seeking to go into ministry. I've seen a many of fool get in a pulpit and act like a fool and talk like a fool and then everybody pat him on the back and say, praise God, brother, we know you love the Lord. <laughs> How often, I said, do we hear zeal offered up as a valid ground and excuse for foolhardy conduct? <coughs> Roger said, and because he saith he could not go back. Remember he said that to his daughter. He said, I, verse 35, for I've opened my mouth unto the Lord and I cannot go back. Roger said, because he said, I could not go back, but must execute his vow. Many marvel that he should be so ignorant that he knew not the law in Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 23 concerning the redeeming of a son or a daughter in such a case for so might he have done had he known that law had he known Leviticus 27 2 through 3 he could have known there was a way to buy his daughter out of this vow but he was ignorant Roger said, but he being driven out of his father's house because he was base born and banished and fell to the soldier's life, it might the rather be therefore that he was less acquainted with the law of God. But it is more marvelous, says Roger. You think you marvel at that. You marvel that he was ignorant of the law of God. Here's something more marvelous than that. That being so famous a thing that he's about to do that the high priest was not consulted with by the motion of some of his friends, especially their remaining two months, as we know from the record, before the vow was to be put into execution. But his ignorance... His ignorance held him in error. Why did he not consult the priests? Why did his friends not press him to consult the priests? I said ignorance will hold men in error. Rogers goes on. He says, and it is a watchword. To all of God's people. Talking about today. To labor against this. Seeing he being ignorant of this one point. He brought such sorrow and woe upon his own head. For who finds not likewise. That a lack of knowledge. In some one point. 
or a lack of care to remember that that he already knows has been a sore blemish to him among his betters who could espy his ignorance. Or else, through the lack of it, he had run upon the rocks. I mean, endangered himself to do that to his shame and griefs, which knowledge would have guided him to have done to his comfort. Oh, seek we therefore saving knowledge and all that's necessary while we may. And we may, it is a crown to humble and sanctified person to seek wisdom, seek knowledge. Jephthah, dear, dear Jephthah, oh dear Jephthah, the law of God had made provision for this. But you were Let them who live under an ordinary ministry. This is the admonition that Rogers brings to this text. Let them who live under an ordinary ministry. That means a functioning biblical church and ministry. This is 1615 now. 1615. Let them who live under an ordinary ministry unprofitably, unprofitably, Repent and redeem the time for it is a great plague of God to be ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. <coughs> and such as lack the means, let them quicken their appetite the more and labor to set the best price on knowledge and wisdom which is the holy insight. He that matcheth these with the most precious jewels and searcheth after his gold, he is like to find it the soonest. But those others pass by them unknown and unawares, as if a man walks over mines of treasure hidden in the earth and never notices. So it is rare, but a goodly sight, to see a man order his steps by knowledge. And to have fellowship with light. And the opposite dishonoring the profession of the gospel. Can I just translate that to you in our modern English? It's a crying shame to be ignorant. When the treasures are here to be had. There's no excuse. Oh, how much damage have I done in fervent zeal without knowledge. Her price is far above rubies. Seek her out and never sell her. Oh yes, the scripture does say, let does, the scripture does not say, let this zeal be in you which also was in Christ Jesus. The scripture does not say, let this fire be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. The scripture does not say, let this passion be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. But in Philippians 2 and verse 5, it says, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. This was the mind 
filled with the infinitude of omniscience. And God said, let that mind be in you. This was the mind filled with the knowledge whose depth and breadth and length was unknown and unknowable, John referred to it in his prayer earlier. This was the very mind of God, and we are commanded to have it. Oh, in some circles, <laughs> Lord help me, I've been there. I've been among them, I've been one of them. In some circles, knowledge is not only despised and rejected, but ignorance is excused. Washed away in the elixir of zeal. And worse, it is exalted to a throne of honor as being some kind of badge of piety. But it is not so. It is not so. Ignorance. God is not honored with ignorance. Dear Jephthah, teach us this lesson. Ignorance holds men in error. Ignorance casts, ignorance costs Jephthah his sweetest joy. And it cost his daughter her life. And all that in the name of a pious Zeal for God. There are few evils more dangerous. There are few evils more dangerous to true piety than religious zeal without knowledge. There are few evils more dangerous to true piety than religious zeal without knowledge. Ignorance. Oh, may God help us to learn from Jephthah. Ignorance. We have a slight, I don't have it in my notes, but I've been contemplating it all week, we have a strange new form of ignorance <laughs> that's subtle and deceptive because it comes in the form of information. It's really ignorance, but it comes in the form of information. We've got a generation now that thinks they can Google something. And instantly, they have all the knowledge of it. It's really nothing but ignorance. But it looks like information. So it's very deceptive. Isn't it? Just like the enemy of our souls to deceive. Lesson number two, ignorance holds men in error. Lesson number three, and this is probably as far as I'll be able physically to go. Lesson number three, the unrelenting evil influences Of a long stay in godless circles. I wish you'd learn a lesson today. The lesson of the effect of a long stay in godless circles. You see, Jephthah was ignorant of the law. 
because of where he'd been. He was a bastard son to begin with. And then his brethren threw him out and ran him off into a pagan culture. And he'd been there working out his own existence for the rest of his life. I want to warn you of the unrelenting evil influence of a long stay in godless circles. Whoa, poor Jephthah. <laughs> How long had he been banished into the land of those godless Ammonites? By the way, they were the ones that offered their children Molech, sacrificed in the fires. That's where he'd been. Remember Lot down in Sodom? Now, when we come to the latter part of this chapter, in a crisis moment, as I portrayed it to you a while ago, he's fixing to go out, he is on the cusp, he's on the eve of the going out and meeting this army. In the crisis of that moment, the stain of that evil influence bleeds out into the fabric of Jephthah's finest hour. The stain of that bleeds through the fabric into his finest hour. Victory. He won the victory, by the way. He defeated them. He crushed them. But in the midst of that great victory, the influence of all of those years among the Ammonites bleeds out. Oh, how sin's stain suddenly rises to the top in our lives. Unexpectedly and sometimes involuntarily. Sometimes in the hour of our most sacred services. Can I say that again? I hope you get a hold of this. Sin's stain sometimes will suddenly rise to the top in our lives unexpectedly and almost involuntarily. Sometimes in the hour of our most sacred services. What about those heart sins? I'm sure it's not just me. Sometimes I'll be somewhere. Someone's praying. Interceding to God. And in my heart comes some thought of something that has no place at the throne of God. It happens in my own experience sometimes. I'm praying alone. And the next thing I know, my heart is somewhere it ought not be. How'd that happen, brother? Too many years. Too many years in a place. How it might have been. Too many years. A long stay in a bad place. 
left its mark. Sometimes in worship service, these things will come out. What are they? They're stains. Stains that are still in the fabric of our hearts. Jephthah was faced with a crisis and in the fervency of the moment, what came out of him? A pagan vow. Where did he get that? He didn't learn that in Israel. He didn't learn that from the fathers. He learned that down there from the Ammonites. And it bore to the surface in a crisis moment. Someone has well said that the habits of a lifetime may lay dormant in the quieter hours of life, but then in a moment of carnal zeal, the worst of all of our experiences may burst out to crush our greatest triumphs. You see, Jephthah, when he pops out with this vow, in verse 31, Jephthah's no longer living in the wilderness. He's no longer marauding for his own existence. He's no longer pillaging for his own sustenance. He's no longer warming his hands at the campfires of evil companions. No, he's not. No, he's not. But in one religious moment, all the worst of that past comes down to crown his high service with pagan vulgarity. Too long, too long with that ungodly crowd. Oh, dear Lord, Jephthah teaches, teaches, teaches. Jephthah teaches. Jephthah teach these young children. Don't give your life to that pagan crowd. That stain is hard to wash out. Imagine this, a vow from hell made to heaven. <laughs> is, that, is that shocking? A vow from hell made to heaven. How could it be? I'll tell you how. Too long, too long among the Ammonites. That thing won't wash out easily. I desire to go further today, but I can't. I hope the Lord, by His Holy Spirit, will give you these three lessons. Take them deeply to your soul. God willing, we'll pick up again on this subject. Will you stand with me, please? And turn in your hymn book, please, to number 672. And let's sing together. 672. Standing, please.
listen to the words. Thank you. 